Glad you're here, uh, Better Together. Let me tell you where the title comes from real quickly. Um, not all will remember this, so it dates me a little bit, but uh, the 85 Chicago Bears were an awesome football team, if you can remember. You remember the Bear Shuffle and the, you know all the different things. Fridge was in that. And, uh, but the two coaches, it was Mike Ditka and Buddy Ryan, and both of them um, are ornery, that's probably a good way to say it. Both of them have their own mind about how they do things. Both of them antagonized each other terribly. When Dicka became the head coach, the owner had already hired Buddy Ryan as the defensive coordinator and told Ditka he could do anything except mess with Buddy Ryan. So Buddy Ryan knew he was safe, and the two of them just, boy, they clashed, and they didn't get along. And one of the reasons they won the Super Bowl was because it was such a dynamic team. They fought, and if you can remember the inside story, it wasn't very pretty. Years later, they went to Buddy Ryan and interviewed him and just asked him about that time and asked him about, you know, how did that work? How did you guys make it work? And he said, bottom line is this. He said, we did fight a lot. We didn't get along the greatest. He said, but the proof is in the pudding. He said, we were meant to be together and look what we won. And then he said this, after we split apart, he said, neither of us ever did anything again that was worth even talking about. So sometimes when we look at being better together, I think that the spirit of the world is, if it's not working, find someone to be better with. And I would say to you, it's maybe God put the two of you together so that together you can accomplish more. And if you are going through things and you're trying to figure it out and you're like, it just doesn't seem like we're that compatible, that is part of what makes a good marriage. How do you overcome that? How do you harness that? How do you move into that? So that's the title, yeah. Better Together. Uh, I read this quote this week that I thought was really interesting, like a prayer. God, the best maker of all marriages, combine your hearts into one. Who do you think said that? William Shakespeare and Henry V. God, the best maker of all marriages, combine your heart together to make one. Guy had some kind of wisdom, didn't he? Yes. So I want to do this real fast. If you're sitting here and you're single, I sent out a quick video invitation uh, to people on our mailing list um, and just talked about what we were going to be talking about this week. And I said in the invitation, if you're single, I want you to be able to come and mingle. So I want to do this, and I want you just to trust me, right? Now, when I say single, I'm going to say uh, you're an adult single, and you can decide what that means. How about that? I won't put an age on it or a maturity thing. If you are an adult single, would you just raise your hand up? And would you keep it up there for a second? Just keep it up for a second, right? Look around real quick. Look around. If you see somebody you might be interested in. <laughs> I'm being serious. Don't laugh at this. You know, people are all the time saying how hard it is to meet somebody. I'm trying to help you right now. Now, I'm serious about this. Keep your hand up for it. Put your hand down. You're not going to get anything. Put your hand back up. Man in the back's excited. Got both hands up. Okay. So here's what I'm thinking by doing this, right? That in about 19 or 20 years, maybe I'll get an invitation from a kid graduating whose name is John, and he'll say, you're the one that helped put my parents together and made this possible for me. So let me, singles, real quick. The first part of the message is going to deal um, with just the idea, I'm going to speak to singles, but it can also apply to marriage. The second part is going to be if you're married. But I do want to say this to our singles so that you understand Stand. I hope that you did look around at the hands. I hope that you recognize that there are many of you here. I hope that you know you're important to us and that you matter to us. Uh, there are groups 
for our singles. There's 20-something uh, groups for singles and marriage. There's singles groups for 40 and up. There's divorce care uh, recovery. All of our groups are online uh, under J Groups, or tonight you can go to the Info Center. Tara, who's going to be at the Info Center? Are you? Somebody from each of those ministries will be at the Info Center. So if you want to find out more information about that, do that. If you're like, well, I saw somebody when they had their hand up, how would I meet them? Go to the Info Center. Because they're going to go there afterwards, and maybe it'll be a good chance to bump into somebody. All right, one other announcement real quick, too. Uh, Starting in about three weeks on Wednesday, we're going to do a couple of interesting things. Um, For those that have been with Jubilee any length of time, in the older building in Lone Tree, um, Chris and I were actually doing a marriage, um, like a four-Wednesday marriage uh, class. And it was literally in week two was when the government came in and said, hey, you've got to close down. And it had sold out. It was a completely sold out thing. So we've always wanted to do it again, but we didn't have the option while we were in the school. And then, um, you know, once we got in here, I knew one of the first things that I wanted to use uh, our training center for was to be able to do the rest of the marriage conference. So uh, I'll be announcing the signups for that. We'll finish up that class right there. It's going to be limited, so if you're interested in that, I'll announce a little bit more uh, about that. And then right after that, we'll start the financial peace um, groups after that. Now, so how are we doing that? We are, I was going to limit it, but I thought because I wanted to use the, the training center, which is good for about 200 people, but we're getting a lot of response on financial peace. And if you don't know what that is, probably the foremost teaching that's out there, it's Christian, but people who don't know Jesus have found great financial peace in their marriages. How many of you know it's one of the big four in any relationship, but in marriage in particular? You've got to be together on finances because if you're not, it is a place where the enemy will attack, you will divide, and you end up, you, you may stay married, but you'll end up doing business as, right, rather than doing it together. And that's not what the Lord wants in this situation. So Jubilee's offering this to you. Uh, and the way that it works, Dave Ramsey is the one who is over that. I'm sure you know that name. He's on a lot of different things. You'll see him on CNN and uh, you know Fox, and um, it's very famous. Dave does, um, it's a simulcast that goes on. You watch that, and then um, we administer groups after that that'll help you with the materials. And so I know that people who take it, several in this church who have, have already come and said, can we help with this, Pastor John. This I had one couple in particular that came and said, it saved our marriage and we want to give back and help other couples who might be in this place right now. So um, if you are interested, I will be announcing all the details, the starting time and uh, how it's going to work and how to get the materials and all of those things in the next couple of weeks too. But be praying about that right now. It'll be on a Wednesday night. And I believe, David, it runs nine weeks. It's a nine-week commitment that you have to make uh, for the financial piece. And if you're just like, man, I can't make nine weeks, what's the price of peace? Would you pay nine nights to have peace in your marriage? And if you're like, no, then do what you want to do. But I would say pay whatever price it takes to get peace in your marriage. Amen? Amen? Okay. Uh, Better together. So um, let me just aim this first. I'm going to make it broader at singles. It can apply to married people too. So let me just talk about two very common mistakes 
that people make when they're considering getting married, when they're looking for who the mate could be. Um, and I think we've all heard it. It's not something that's just like 2023. I think it's gone on forever. Here's the first one if you want to fill in the blank. Uh, if I could only find the one, the one. The myth is out that if you could just find the one, then that's what makes everything work. And really, I think where it comes from is that you know all the emotions that you have when you first find that person, you think, could this be the one? You know, you get with all of your friends and you, you get a text chain going, I think this is the one. Um, they made me feel so wonderful. And, you know, I just the one, the one. You put such focus on the one. And I think that that is, um, I, I think that it's nice to think in those terms, but it's nice to think in, um, in fairy tale type terms, right? There's not a reality to the one. There's not an idea that if you could just find on a planet that has, uh, what is it, 7 billion people, they just said, 6 billion, 7 billion, that somewhere in that number, it, the odds of that are higher than winning that big lottery. This just happened. And I'm going to show you a scripture that I think disproves the idea of the one. This is Matthew 12, 33. Now, I'm going to read it to you, but let me give you the context first. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees with the disciples. And they're arguing with him. Uh, they just got done talking about what the unpardonable sin was. And Jesus is talking about the words that you speak, you're going to give an account for. And then he moves into this idea that your words have power and that there's power in blessing. And then Jesus, while he's talking about words, just like out of left field, makes this statement in Matthew 12, 33. Make a tree good and its fruit will be or make a tree bad and its fruit will be? For a tree is recognized by its fruit. And then he goes right back into the power of your words, literally. The next verses do. So the context is, he's talking about the power of your words and the tree. What's the tree? The tree is anything in your life that you want to get fruit from. Anything in your life that you want to get fruit from. Do you want to get fruit from your marriage? Yes. What you say about your marriage is important. Now, some people think, okay, so I am, my words, I will criticize and get what I want through criticizing. That's cursing. Right. It's blessing. Make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Make the tree bad and the fruit will be bad. Here's what I believe. You make your marriage what you want it to be. Yeah, that's true. It is not contingent on finding the one person and that's what makes it all come together. In fact, let me reverse the logic of that and ask you this way. Do you think that longevity in a marriage, and I'm not just talking about two people who just stay together for the sake of staying together, sake of the kids. I'm talking about two people who stay passionately in love with each other, who know what they're doing is what God wants them to do. This is the direction. You're my partner. I'm with you. You're with me. Where you go, I'll go. Your people are my people. That kind of love, that kind of commitment. Do you think that longevity in marriage comes from finding the right one or from making the right decisions? Right Tell me real quick. Right it's the right decisions, correct? Yeah. It's the right decisions. It's not finding the, it's a cop-out to say, well, because you're not the right one, that's why this didn't work. And I've got to keep finding, keep looking, keep going until I find the right one. What you make of it is what it is. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. Let me say it and qualify it. Because if you're sitting here thinking, Pastor, I, yes, I think that's true. But if you do get a stinker, how many of you know that there are stinkers out there? Another word is losers. They're out there. So marriage is based on two people both making decisions, agreed with that. And the problem with a marriage 
is that it doesn't take one, but it takes two. And the risk is that at any given time, if the marriage is not cared for and tended and watched over, a partner can wake up one day. They don't do it overnight. I've never seen a situation where overnight a woman turns to her husband and says, I'm done. It's been a long series of events that lead to that conversation. I've never seen a man who said, hey, I'm done. I want away. I decided while I was sleeping last night. It's been a long series of sleeps that got to that point. So the risk in what I'm saying is at any given time, if it's not properly cared for, if the enemy gets in there, if you're not taking care of it the way you should, a partner can say to the other one, hey, I'm done. That's what makes marriage risky. I heard somebody say it this way. If you don't want to get hurt, don't get married. Yay. But is that true in everything? If you don't want to get hurt, don't go to work. Some of you are like, that's my philosophy, Pastor. I... If you don't want to get hurt, don't cheer for the Broncos. No. It's all changing now, baby. We got the New Orleans special coming to Colorado. Get ready. If I could only find the one, I think that what you make of it is what you get out of it. But let's, let's talk about this quick, because I know what people mean when they say if I could find the one. If I could find one who loves Jesus, if I could find one who's got developed character. So can I just say this very quickly to you? Like attracts like. This is a principle in the universe. When I was, um, so, you know, Ari left to go with the junior high just a minute ago, and I was going to ask him if this was true, because he and Kayla are youth pastors now. But when I was a youth pastor, the strangest thing in the world, I could witness it every week. Rebellious kids who came to the youth group who didn't know anybody else in the youth group would somehow gravitate to where the rebellious kids were. I saw it every time. It's called a familiar spirit. And kids who were sold out for Jesus, who loved Jesus with all their... Guess who they ended up gravitating towards? Jocks gravitated towards jocks. Stoners towards... (laughs) True? So what is that? Like attracts like. So part of the thing that we should all be saying is, instead of looking for the one, and I'll talk about that in just a second, become what you want to marry. That's good. That's good. Yep. Become that person first. If you're serious about that's what I want, become that thing. If you want someone who sold out to Jesus, you must sell out to Jesus. If you want someone who's serious about finances and has them in order, get your finances in order. So I don't know how to do it. Come to financial peace. I wish, I wish that they were interested in church. Come to church. Become what you want because like attracts like. So let me talk about the one real quick. I know what people mean by that, but let me explain to you if you're a follower of Christ how this becomes the most important thing that you can do. You really need to find the two, not the one. Let me explain. God has to be your one. Listen to what I'm saying. God has to be your first and your foremost. He has to be at the top. He gets the first of your time, the first of your heart, the first of your decisions, the first belongs to God. You're not looking for the one, you're looking for the two. What you want is someone who also wants God to be number one. You want a good two. So that together you can seek after the one. Yes. 
And when you're doing that, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek. First. Seek. First. One more time. Seek first. the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. How much time do we spend trying to seek after the thing that we want rather than seeking after the one who will give it to you? When you put him in first place, he will bring to you what you want. He will make those things possible for you. And too often we get in that place where we're going to make this thing, this person, the number one or not. So how does that conversation look? Uh, you, I, so I heard a pastor say this recently. He said, what you idolize, eventually you will demonize. Let me explain. So nothing else inside of you is created a shape that only God belongs in. It's the first space in your life. And if you try to fill it with another person, we have a word for that. It's called idolatry. Thank you for that huge amen on that. But that is exactly. God gets first place and anything else that goes into that place, it is called idolatry. And it is a sin. The problem with it is only God is worthy of that place because God won't fail you. Any other human in this room, in this world, will fail you. Yes or no? There is none perfect except Jesus. And I don't think he's dating. So anytime we try to elevate a human into a spot that only belongs to God, it's idolatry. But here's the problem. What we idolize, we eventually demonize. And it tells us, like, I, I made you my everything. Why can't you make me happy? Why won't you give me? And so we're trying to get from somebody something that they can't give us anyway. And then you're in a battle. And then we're just like, so we go to counseling to try to fix something that cannot be yes. fixed. Maybe you could talk to my partner. That's what I get a lot of. Maybe, could you? They won't listen to me, but could you? Yes. Can you be a better idol in Gary's life? I just, so what you want is to make him the one and you want to be looking for a two. If you're already married, then what you want to do is have God in the first place. Listen to this very carefully. And you want your spouse in the second place. And what a lot of married people do is put other things in the second place. Children. They'll put them before the spouse. Jobs. Money. Hobbies. Habits. Going to number two. Look at me real quickly. If you want to be married and you want to do it well, you can't mess around with these numbers. God goes one. Spouse goes to, you come in priority down the road. One of the most difficult things that we deal with as pastors, blended marriages are a wonderful thing. Did you hear what I said? But blended marriages are one of the most difficult things that I watch couples deal with. Because you have to have a person who was committed to a child before they met the person and you're telling them your spouse belongs in this place and you've got to move the child out. And that is hard. Yes. Honestly, it's very hard. But the priority of the marriage is out of line until you can do it. Yep. Mm. Good. 
Pastor John's still brave. I'll put my foot right there and say the way that it is. And I know there's all dynamics, and I know it's not done instantly or overnight, but you should be working towards that if you're going to be successfully married. Uh, Here's the second one, common mistake. Uh, My heart tells me. My heart tells me. Now, a couple of weeks ago, um, I spent some time. I don't know why. I don't think it was Saturday night. I think it was Sunday that I spent more time on uh, the spirit of the age. The spirit of Antichrist today is the heart wants what the heart wants. The heart wants what the heart wants. Somehow, we repeat that mantra like it is above everything. Hey, you can't do anything. What it is, it's letting ourselves off the, well, my heart wanted it. and you, We all know you can't do anything about your heart. And yet Jesus tells us, right, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Not where your heart is, there your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. So real quickly, let me tell you what I know about the heart according to the scriptures. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. Uh, read this with me. The human heart is the most... I mean, how many of you did a devotion on that recently? And like, you're like you wrote a lot down about that. The, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It goes on to say, and who can know it? You want to know who can know it? The Holy Spirit can know your heart. And you can know your heart through the Holy Spirit. But the problem with going with what your heart says, how many of you have ever had a heart that's lied to you? You ever had a heart that told you, this is what I have to do, we have to do this, we really want... So th- look, so understand what I'm trying to teach you real quickly. My heart tells me this is the one. My heart tells me this is the way to go. My heart tells me I had a man come into my office, married to his wife, leading worship for us one time, early on in the church, had an affair, walked in, sat at my desk with his wife and told me these words, God told me this is okay and God told me I need to leave my wife and this is my soulmate. That's what he said in front of his wife. What was my reply to that? Oh, praise God. So glad you've learned to hear the voice of the devil. No, I said, this is what I said to him in a kind way. I just said, you're deceived. You literally are deceived. You're not thinking straight. You cannot find that in the Bible. And whoever is telling you that is not God. So you need to decide what you're going to do about that. To his credit, he repented. He did repent. Not on the mark. But he did repent, and they're still together today. Praise God for that. Let me tell you about my heart real quickly. Um, around 42 or 43, I had what I think was a midlife crisis. Now, it wasn't your typical one where I bought shirts and unbuttoned them down to here and got a big medallion, <laughs> right? It didn't go that direction. I didn't run out and buy you know, a super sports car. Uh, I did not leave Chris. But I did, I, I struggle with these thoughts. My life is not, it's not adding up to anything. I'm way behind where I thought I was going to be at this time in my life. And too much time is going by. And all these weird thoughts were happening to a believer. So let me tell you three things that I learned through that. This is not part of the message, but maybe somebody's sitting here going through it. One, you need anchoring ropes in your life. You need to be tethered to something that is solid. Because the Bible says we drift. It says, pay more careful attention so that you don't drift. We all drift. Nothing happens instantly. It happens slowly, doesn't it? When you end up in a bad place spiritually, it happened. It didn't happen overnight. I didn't preach one bad message and you backslid. That is not what happened. 
It's not what happened. It happened slowly. It happened piece by piece. You've got to be tethered to something strong. You need to have friends in your life who are holding on to you. Men, listen to me right now. You need to have men in your life who are older than you, who have gone through those things, so you can come and say, did you ever feel this way? You remember that conversation? And Larry said, yes, I felt that way. And here's what I did about it. It was awesome advice to me. It was awesome advice. You've got to have friends in your life who will tell you the truth. That's not God. Don't freak out right now. Stay steady. I'm praying for you. I'm with you and checking on you. You've got to have those things in life. You've got to remember you're only going through a phase. This too will pass. Remember those words. Your heart is telling you, oh my, you feel so desperate. I've got to do something right now. Bob Seeger, the theologian. (laughs) You know, it's a shame. If I said, raise your hand if you don't know who Bob Seeger is, then don't raise your hand. Some of my own children don't know who that is. Where have I gone wrong? Where have I gone wrong? But he sings a song. (laughs) Um, Roll away. And in the song, it just begins, took a look down a westbound road, and right away I made my choice. Walked out to my big two-wheeler. I was tired of my own voice. Took a bead on the northern plains and rolled that power on. And for some reason, listening to that song at that time, all I could think of was, my life is passing by, i got to jump on this motorcycle, and I need to ride west. <laughs> I'm going to leave all of this behind. I did have that thought. I'm, I'm walking away from it all. I'm walking away from my church. I'm walking away from my wife. I'm walking away from my children. My heart was in this funky place, and I don't know how it got there. And my point simply is this. Who knows the human heart because it's deceitfully wicked? Do you know how glad I am that I didn't listen to Bob Seger? (laughs) Seriously. And I'm making fun of something and making light of something. But you know the bad counsel you get when you're vulnerable, which is the third thing. You need tethers mooring lines. Mm -hmm. You need to realize this too will pass. And you need to recognize you've got to guard against counsel when you're in a vulnerable place. Yeah, I would be in Canada. I'd I'd be divorced and probably have lost the motorcycle by this point, right? And probably my life would be a wreck because I would have lost everything that I've ever worked my entire life what I believed in and what I've sacrificed for and how I've lived my life. I was willing in a moment of insanity. Is it okay to say it that way? Any other person ever felt? It's like quick insanity. And you just feel so desperate. Thank God that I didn't do that. Thank God that I'm here right now. So I'm the proof you don't have to. And I'm the proof that it's worth it. Yeah, you would have come got me. I know, that's the... (laughs) She'd have beat me back into the... (laughs) Okay, let me just, let me finish up with this. The heart tells me. Listen, let me me say this so that you understand. I am not like a decision about a person, about marriage, about a relationship, has to just be based on facts and facts alone. It's a wonderful thing when your heart is swooning for a person. There's an old word, swooning. How many of you have ever swooned over your... Come on. How many of you are still swooning? There's the real... Yes. Come on, man. 
She still makes my heart beat faster. I still get excited when I see her. She's still the one. (laughs) Who turns my head. Um, Listen to my... I think that God creates it so that your heart and wisdom are supposed to come together. But let me just clarify this for you. Any decision built only on feelings is bound to fail. Yes or no? Why? Because your feelings change. Your feelings get hurt. Your feelings get excited. Your feelings get tired. Your feelings are all over the place. And one of the highest levels of maturity in a believer is that when feelings don't dictate what you're going to do today. Did you just hear what I said? How do you know when you're beginning to grow? What do you measure it by? Loving God more, loving people more, and I can tell you for sure, when your feelings no longer dictate your life, you are growing, friend. You are growing. It's okay to have feelings. They need to be involved. But it's not the highest form of commitment to say, that I have feelings for this person. So let me, let's take it out of the idea of relationships and marriage real quick. Any of you, were you, before you had children, did you get this emotion like, let's have children? I didn't ask you if you're sorry about that emotion. I'm asking you, for those of you who have, did there come a place before you had your first child, you were like, this, this is, we've got to do this. Come on. And then, so your feelings are all wound up about it, and you're just excited, and the pregnancy, and the baby moves, and what are we going to name the baby? And the baby comes in, you hold the baby, and then the baby begins to grow. Begins to exhibit a personality just like your husband's. (laughs) Have you ever, have you ever had that? It's like you're so emotionally excited about it, but have you ever just had those feelings like, why did I do this? What were we thinking about? Why didn't somebody tell me? You know, the thing is, we do tell, but you just can't hear it. How about this? Think about this for just a moment. We're taking it out of marriage, but I'm just trying to get you to recognize feelings are important, but they're not the highest level of why you make a decision. But have you, anybody in here, you ever start a business? Entrepreneurial, any, any, any way. Before you do it, God uses the naivete because you don't know you just want to be your own boss. Yes. You're going to make a million. You're going to change the world. What I have found, the older that you get, if you can end up changing yourself, you did pretty good. You need to hear me on that. Starting a church is very similar to that. The Lord uses naivete, the call, and the energy. Right? But if you're going to make it long time, it has nothing to do with the emotions. The highs are highs and the lows are low. Enough about that. (laughs) We're right after the 1st of January. You ever been excited to exercise? Before you go do it. Do you know what I mean? It's like you see something that motivates you. I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing it this time. I'm buying all the equipment. I'm the only one that's ever done that. (laughs) Convincing myself if I bought the equipment, that is what will make me work out. No, that just makes you feel guilty that you spent that money. So you put it in your basement, close the door, and then you don't have to see it. How about this? 
Have you ever made a decision to do something spiritually? Like, okay, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to journal. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to fast. Emotionally, it starts with this thing. But you realize a spiritual discipline, it's not a spiritual excitement. It's a spiritual discipline. It takes a discipline, not just an excitement. The first time you have to get up at five, the excitement wanes very quickly. So let me give you five keys to energize your marriage. And just so you know, we're only going to do two of them tonight. We'll do the other three next week. I'll tell you what the other three are at the end. But five keys to energize your marriage. So now I'm switching it to people who are married. And I mentioned this when I was talking about finding the one. But here's what I think. These five keys, if you're not doing these things, then let me encourage you right where you are, start these things. If you have been saying, God, things have to change. God, I want it to be better. God, is this all there is? Or maybe you're saying like, God has moved in our marriage, but we find ourselves at a plateau. What can we do that will energize it? What can we do? Look, sometimes what got you here won't get you there. So it's okay to say, okay, what now? So let let me just tell you, and I know these by habit and by practice and because my heart is into it. Number one, first and foremost, want to energize your marriage? Seek God. Seek God. And if you just like, Pastor, I cannot connect those dots. I don't get it. God is the author of marriage. He is the one who created marriage. He gave it to us as a gift. And all the emotions that go with it are a gift. All parts of marriage. God wants you to enjoy. He wants it to be something that you, this is like, God, you knew. When he tries to describe the relationship between us and him, it's, it's so spiritual that the only thing he can do is put it onto something that we can all understand. So in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. He has to use something that we can understand in order to get our mind around a spiritual prison. Wives, submit yourself. Give yourself. Give the honor, the place. Give the second to your husband. Not to just any man. The Bible never asks a woman to be subservient to men, but to your husband it asks. You each play a role. The man has been called to be the leader. It doesn't mean that you're not both leaders, but he's been called to the role of leadership. You're called in the role of support. The old, you know, the man is the head. The woman's the neck. The head will not go where the neck doesn't want to. Yes or no? Yes or no? It is the truth of the matter. They both work in harmony with each other. And we misunderstand it when we see it as some, well, I'm the leader and you need to get in line. I'll just tell you this. If you have to tell your wife that, you're probably not a good leader. Because I believe that God has put in the heart of every wife the ability to follow her husband contingent upon the husband leading well. So if you're demanding submit, 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 you're already in the wrong. Something's already broken down. Leadership, if you, I'm the leader. (laughs) Listen to me. Number one, if you have to tell everybody you're the leader, guess what? (laughs) Yes or no? Seek God, Matthew 6, 33. I quoted it before. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All of these things will be given to you as well. If you're a follower of Christ, do you believe that? Look at me real quick. Do you actually believe that that is true? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will add all of these things. 
He'll add them. So the question would be, well, I did that, but I didn't get the thing that I wanted. So I would say then, you're trying to like, hey, I'm doing this because, and it's not really because God is first place in your life. God becomes more of a bargaining. Seek God together. So let me talk about keystone habits really quick. I read a book recently um, that was titled The Power of Habits. And the one thing that I pulled out of the book was he talked about a keystone habit. So like, you know, you read those books and they'll give you like 18 things that you need to do on a daily basis. How many of you, like if you could just do one, you'd be doing good. Be honest. So when I write these messages, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I don't want to give a list. Here's the 17 things Chris and I do to keep the fire burning in life. That, nobody. So let me just talk about a keystone habit real quickly. What the guy's premise is, is that all habits are based on, you've got a keystone habit in your life that if you can develop that habit, everything else is going to flow around that. So he, he mentioned flossing. And I related to this. Because after the heart attack, one of the things they said to me is, one of the highest ways that people end up with heart disease is through the mouth, the gums. Can you believe that? It's a direct connection, directly connected to your heart. The condition of your gums directly connected to your heart. So he's like, if you do not floss, you need to start flossing. And if you do floss, you need to floss more. So I started this, in, literally, I counted them this afternoon just so you, I have 10 boxes of floss. <laughs> 10 boxes so I can never run out. 10 boxes. That is important, and here's the deal. When I do it, I feel so good about myself for doing it. When I go downstairs then to eat, instead of going like, I want that donut. No, I'm going to have something healthy for me. And then when I have something healthy for me, and I pick up my Bible and read it, I feel encouraged to read it, because it's just like, it's my day's going the right way, and I'm in the right mindset. And so then when I do that, then my interaction with my wife, because that position for God has been there, it's so good. Yes. And when this is good, it's worth flossing. You get what I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying, right? It just... And so then when I stand up here in front of you, a keystone habit that you don't know about, but that started early in the morning, listen... Sets up how my day goes. So let me give you the converse. When I don't do it, then I feel like I am tossing dice with my heart. It's a weird thing. And so then I justify eating anything that I want. And then somebody inevitably will say, Pastor, you gaining weight? Which puts me in a really funky place. So when I'm driving home thinking about that comment, I'm speeding cop pulls me over. Of course, I have to run away. <laughs> so the helicopter comes and shining its light down. It's on the news and people realize, oh, another pastor. <laughs> what was wrong in his life? He wasn't flossing. <laughs> you laugh at that. We're having fun. But a keystone habit, listen to me. Keystone means it holds all the other ones together. Yes. Yep. Okay. If you're married and you both love God, or you're hoping to go that direction, let me give you the keystone habit. Seek God together. Seek Him together. Don't do it separately. Don't do it... And I'm not saying that you can't go do other things, but that primary relationship, can two people walk together unless they're agreed to do so? That's what Joel says. Two people walk together when you're both going the same direction. If one's going that way and one's going this way, it's a push-me-pull-me. Me. Yes? yes? 
So let's talk about that. What does seeking God look like real quick? I would say the easiest thing to do, pray together. Now, when I say that, so, so a woman just heard that. Married woman's like, oh, pastor, this is the most awesome thing. I've been wanting him to be a spiritual leader, and you just told him he has to be a spiritual. And a man is like, pastor, I'd rather wrestle a bear <laughs> because I don't know what to say. And I feel like when we get in that position, she knows more than I do, and she's better at it anyway, and it always just seems to be awkward. So I don't mind praying, but I don't like doing it out loud, and I prefer to do it all by myself. All right, get that. But you're married. What does that have to do with anything? Everything! You're married. You're trying to go in the same direction. It is hard. Here's what people will say, especially men. It's just so awkward. So is everything else you do in life when you begin something. Yes. It's awkward to go to a new job. You never shot a gun. It's awkward to learn how to shoot a gun. Yep. It's awkward until you learn how to do it. And once you learn how to do it, it becomes second nature. Then you find, listen to me, intimacy. Some of the most incredible intimacy that a husband and wife can share together is not sex in and of itself, but it is spiritual intimacy together, which enhances all the other parts of the married life too. Did you just hear what I said? So you're just like, now if I'd have said, hey, here's the keystone habit, sex. The woman's like, oh, Lord. And the man's like, oh, I love this guy. Generalities, I realize. Some woman's like, not me, honey. Come on. So. <laughs> yeah. Sandra's like, move away from me when you, when you say that. Um, there's a ministry. Eric, you, you guys, you and Rachel will love this. Maybe you can use it in something. It's called Family Life. It's a U.S. ministry that deals with marriages. And so they did a study that has both a dark and a silver lining to it. So here's the study. They found that less than 8% of couples who claim Christ pray together. 8%. That's the dark part. Here's the silver lining. Of the 8%, less than 1%, far less than 1% divorce. Okay, so let me give you odds. Maybe you like to deal with odds. The odds are today, whether you're a Christian or not, if you do marriage just any old way, the world's way, you have a higher than 50-50 chance of being divorced. Those aren't my numbers. Those are numbers that are out there. And so if you're just like, hey, pastor, I'll take my chance. I don't really care. If you want what everybody else is getting, keep doing what everybody else is doing. But if you want to lower your percentage to less than one or more than 99% to make it, learn to pray with your mate. Learn to pursue God. Seek him. Make him number one. And if you're just like, Pastor, you are oversimplifying. I'm telling you it's a keystone habit that when you seek God, God has things for you that you don't know about until you begin to seek him. He can change things. In our marriage, it was the fourth year of our marriage. And it was not going good. We were not getting along. We would have said to you privately, not sure if I've got the right one. We struggled. We fought. We argued. I'd stay out late. Didn't want to go home. In the fourth year of our marriage, Chris's uncle invited us to a marriage thing called Nova Shalom. It's not even around anymore. 
But you had to commit to 16 weeks, once a week. And my God, those people got up in your business. Oh my goodness. Nothing was off limits. And you go into it first thinking, okay, I can do this. Two or three weeks into, you're like, only God could do this. And God did it. It turned our lives around spiritually. It brought ministry back to us, what God had said to us. We were going a completely different direction. A completely different direction. I don't want to glorify those days, but I'd just go to bars. Hang out. Because I didn't want to go home. Which would exacerbate when I did go home. I've never hit her, but the closest I came, I had drank too much, came home, she said something, and it almost went to blows. Can you handle me saying this? What changed it? Jesus. He changed everything. He changed everything. You know what? He didn't change her. He changed me. And in changing me, everything else changed inside of that right there. Before I pursued so many other things, I instantly, they say repentance is a matter of turning around. I think repentance is a matter of your heart breaking first. You recognizing where you're at in your life and how much you need God because you can't do anything about it. And then you make the turn. Dude, I saw myself. I saw what I was doing to my wife and I saw what I was doing to two little children. I treated them as a nuisance. It is not easy for me to say this to you. But you know what? It's like I'm talking about somebody else. I don't even know that dude. I don't know that guy. Seeking God. Mm. Let me give you the second one. So by the way, the class that we'll do, the one that Chris and I will... I'll... I'll talk more practically on how you can do these things and we want to allow for questions and answers because there's so many questions I know that come in this. And you think, my situation, Pastor, how would you apply this in my situation? I think God can minister in every situation. And I know I have to be kind of broad when I'm doing this, but I want to make it where you can ask the question. So just think about that. Okay, two, how about this one? Have fun. Okay, that is like, you. I know you have fun. So let's say it one more time. Have fun. Five keys to energize your marriage. Seek God, one, two, have fun. Look at Ecclesiastes 9, 9. Just the first part of it, right? Enjoy, what's that word? No, no, no. Enjoy, say, enjoy. Enjoy. You're like, it's like a choking coming. Enjoy life with your wife. Enjoy life with your wife. Whom you love. Enjoy. How about this? God is into you enjoying your life. And he especially wants you to enjoy your marriage. And your marriage should be a blast. It should not always be difficult. It should not always be serious. Yes, there are moments. Yes, there are times. Yes, there are problems. Yes, there are things we work through. But you should be enjoying your marriage. And you should be enjoying it with your best friend. And I've got some great friends in life, but I don't have any better best friend in my life than my wife. She is truly my best friend. I can talk to her about anything, struggles and successes. Things that we're going through, 
I don't have to hide anything. She knows we can talk. She is my best friend. It wasn't always like that. That's why I'm saying finding the one is a myth. Find the two and pursue the one. And then make your marriage. Make the tree good and the fruit will be good. If you don't like the fruit you're getting, isn't it awesome to know you can do something about it? Well, yes, I can go find a new one. No, you don't have to do that. And I know, look, I know I use humor to disarm people. I know when I'm talking about this, if you're in a tough place, I know you think, Pastor, if you knew our situation, it's hopeless. You can feel hopeless. God is the God of all hope. That's what the scripture says. The God of all hope. He breathes life into things that are dead. And he restores the things that he promised. That the enemy has had a semi-successful way of doing you in. All right, so have fun. Look at this picture real quick. Look at this. Who do you think that young couple is right there? I was 17 and Chris was 16 and that was going to prom right there. So here's what I did to make that happen. We had been fighting with each other. We had broke up. We weren't together. And all of a sudden, man, I'm like, ah, I don't have a date for prom. (laughs) She doesn't have a date for prom. And so I was like, I, I've got to win her. I've got to win her back. So remember one of the first things that I did, I went to a flower shop and I said, Hey, how much are those roses? And the guy told me, I said, how much are the carnations? (laughs) Cause I was 17 years old. And the guy said, for what, a dozen or a single? I said, for every carnation you've got in the store, how much are they? And the guy told me, I said, I want to buy every one of these carnations, and I want you to deliver them to her house. And then that was um, 82, 81? Two. Two, 82. Um, <laughs> yes, people had cars back in 1982. Um, <laughs> So this was before renting limos was a big thing, and I had to figure out how to do it. It was really complicated to rent a limo. So I rented a limo, and then they do it by the hour, and I only had enough money (laughs) to get us. They picked us up, and we took pictures, and then we went to eat at a place called Top of the Rockies, for those who remember. It was a restaurant used to spin around, right? That was the big place to go. We went to Top of the Rockies, and then we went to the prom, and we danced once or twice, And then I was like, hey, the pumpkin's about to. (laughs) It's going to turn on us real quick. We got to get out of here. So we jumped in the car and I had them take us to Cinderella City, which is where I had parked my Ford Maverick. So we get out of the limo in our prom clothes and we jump into my awesome Ford Maverick. I think it was a 71 or 72. And I pull out onto Hampton and the car breaks down. I'm in a tux and Chris is in that beautiful dress and I'm trying to work on her. And I'm like, okay, try to start it. You know, and it just, it was like, (laughs) and we just had such, we laugh about that now and we just had such a good time. And I spent everything I had and have continued to do it for 39.2 years since then. And is it worth it? Look at me. (laughs) 
is worth it. It's worth whatever it takes. This is not, I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. It's not because I found a perfect person. I found someone who loves Jesus and together we pursued him with all of our hearts. And I know you sit there and you think, yeah, but you did it at a younger age. I just told you. It wasn't until we were married for several years and as pastors, honestly, that thing can go like this spiritually. Don't you wish it was always like this? But I think that life is cyclical and sometimes the enemy sets particular traps and you find yourself struggling at more times. Sometimes you go through a marriage year and it was a marriage year. Yeah. And maybe some of you are doing that right now. You're committed, but it's just a marriage year. Hold on. Because what's just a marriage year, the next year can be the best year you ever had in your life. Yep. And once you start finding that place, look, God is supernatural. And I know that people look, you think, well, you're a pastor, you're supposed to be that way. I'm human, make mistakes. I've said worthless things to the most priceless woman in my life. Anybody else? Yeah. Things that if I could take back, I would, but how do you recover from those things? How do you, how do you? That's why we want to do some classes on this. Here's what I truly believe. Strong marriages make for a strong church. It's not the only thing that makes a strong church. But strong marriages make for a strong church. Hey, how are you still dating? How are you still pursuing? How are you guys laughing together? When are you laughing together? When you have children, doesn't it seem to get so serious? And then you tell yourself, well, right now we're having children. We'll need to do this at a later time. Isn't it funny how in the midst of raising children, you can end up so far apart from each other? I know. Here's what I'm going to do next week. Of the five, I'm only doing three. Uh, two tonight. Here's the three next week. Fight fair. Stay pure. If there was ever a day that we lived in when that is a huge one today, stay pure. It is so easy with the click of a mouse to see things unlimited. We'll preach that next week. And bottom line, never give up. Never give up. Way back in the day, we were only a church for maybe a year, just moved into the storefront. We weren't very large, 200 people, 250 people, something like that. And I looked out and I had, um, I had young couples, I had middle-aged couples, but I didn't have a lot of older couples. And so I just asked anybody that's been married more than 25 years that would help me um, do a, a survey. Would you please raise your hand? I only had like four couples that have been married more than 25 years. Which 25 years today is like 50. Yeah. So I took them, I took some of the younger couples, but I took the four that have been married 25 years and I just said, what's the secret? Tell me the secret. What'd you learn to do? What made it work? 
What, what do you credit your longevity with? And what I was looking for, I don't think longevity for longevity's sake is what it's about. That's not what I'm saying. I think longevity when you're passionately in love with each other, for each other, seeking God. Do you hear me? That's, what, that's my qualifier. And the four, every one of them said it a little bit different, but they all said the same thing. We are married this long because we chose to stay married this long. There was no great secret to it. Some of it was just the fact that we decided we're not going to give up. Do you know how powerful you are spiritually when you just decide you're not going to give up? Now, the world will tell you, well, just staying together for the sake of staying together is not what it's about. And I just said to you, that's not what it's about. It's to stay together and be passionate. But you have to make a choice. We're going to stay together. And if you didn't make that choice and you're in another relationship, can you make that choice now? And if you're looking and you've had bad experiences, can you say, I've got to get this right? Not just whoever or whenever or whatever. I've got to get this right. And now, I want to pray for something real quick. I felt like the Lord said to me, the most important thing when you close this message is to offer to people the opportunity to get their lives right with Jesus, especially married couples. And here's why. Look at me real quick. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Unless you are aligned spiritually, the Bible says you're unequally yoked. The person who is not in love with Jesus, you can have one who is and one who is not And that is such a difficult place. And so I'm saying to you, if you are here because you want to make your marriage work, you have got to be in the same place spiritually with each other. And if your heart is not right with Christ, or you have never given your heart to the Lord, I'm telling you, one of the reasons you should do it, if you want a good marriage, you don't know what real love is until you experience unconditional love. You have no, you have no, nothing in your heart That even you are loving the best of your ability, but you have to love a person with God's love. And unless you experience that love, you can't give what you don't have. Do you agree with that? You cannot give what you don't have. So I want you to think real quickly, where are you at with Jesus? What do you believe? Are you away from him? Was there a time in your life you loved him, you walked with him, but circumstances, life... A teacher, a parent, a friend, something came in and pulled you, an event, a tragedy, something pulled you away. Friend, the way to handle that situation is through Jesus too. If you're doing it all by yourself, man, I don't know how you're making it. If you've never asked Christ into your heart, you're not away, you never came close. But you sit here tonight with a person who loves Jesus and you love that person. And that's why you're here. I am telling you the truth right now. I'm not trying to grow my church, I'm not trying to add to the numbers. I'm trying to add to a book in heaven. 
It's a book that your name needs to be written in because at the end of time, that book of life will be read from and only the names of the people in it will be with Christ in eternity. And it's a decision that we all make. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to tell you, this is so serious. That if you're going to try to do spiritual things without a spiritual foundation, how? It's like trying to come back from someplace you've never been. So would you pray with me real quick? Jesus, we love you. Father, we give this time to you. You're worthy of this time. And Lord, I know as I teach these things, some people go, Pastor, I, I hear that, I get that. Love my spouse. We're pursuing together. This is an encouragement to, the, to us. And I, man, I bless the Lord. I always want to be an encouragement to you. But if you find yourself in that group where you're away from Christ, the term is backslidden is what they say, or you have never invited Christ into your life and you're now with someone or married to someone who claims Christ and you're interested in making that everything that it can be, I'm telling you, it starts in a relationship with Jesus. So I'm asking you to be honest and I'm asking you what you want to do about it. And if you said, Pastor, I came to learn about marriage, I'm giving you the foundation for all good marriage. I promise you, So look into your heart right now. Where are you? I'm not asking you to get religion. I'm not asking you to reform, dress different, talk different. I'm asking you if you need Jesus in your life. If you're away from him or you've never known him, but you're interested in pursuing what we're talking about, then a decision for Jesus is absolutely necessary. I'm telling you right now, you won't be able to do it any other way. So if you say, Pastor John, I hear you, I hear what you're saying, and I want to do something about it, and I want to invite Christ into my heart, I want him in my life, I recognize my need for him right now. So Pastor, I want you to remember me when you pray. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now? I just want to pray for you. Who are you? Yep. Anybody else? Yep. Yep, yep, see you, see you. Anybody else, just pray for me. See you, sir. Yes, sir, I see you. Anybody else, just pray for me. I got you. Just pray for me. In the back, I see you, yep. Anybody else? So I'm not pulling you up here. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just want to pray for you right now. So Pastor, remember me in your prayers. Pray for me today. Thank you. Thank you. See you, sir. Thank you. Put him back down. See you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. So I'm just waiting. I just feel like the Holy Spirit's just, yep, thank you, I see you. Okay, There's several of you. Uh, I want us all to do this together. We're just going to pray and go to God together. So I'd like everybody in the church to repeat after me. If you raised your hand, the only thing that's necessary is not that you get the words absolutely perfect, but that from your heart... You're saying to God, be merciful to me. Help me, God, I need you. So would you just repeat after me, everybody. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you now. I see my need for you. And I say yes to you in me. 
I want your life. I want your mercy. And I want your plans for me. I want your plans for us. Lord, have all of me. I'm not bargaining with you tonight. I give you all of me. And if you mean that when you say it, say amen. 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 Now, if you made that decision, what I do want you to do, when the service is over, we have new life books is what they're called. And they're books that will talk about the next steps. Okay, you've given your heart to Christ. What now? If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. If you don't have any kind of a fellowship or group, we want to help you with that, if that's uh, something that you desire. But you have to make the effort to go get the book.